clap and intro. Here's the clap. Yep. And here's the intro. Welcome to episode 118 of the Carmudgeon Show. I think it might be. Yeah, it might be. Probably on or about 118 of the Carmudgeon Show. Mm, whatever. A product of the Haggerty Podcast Network, hosted by Jason Camisa and Derek Tam Hyphen Scott. This episode is about the. Ford Mustang. Haggerty Drivers Club. <laughs> no, this episode is about the Ford Mustang in all of its generations, which we recently spent a little bit of time with. Mm-hmm. Um, there was There's some pretty interesting through lines in the Mustang history that um, are, are interesting to people even who aren't Mustang people. Like us. Who don't like to kill pedestrians in cars and coffee parking. Yeah, I've soon? never, I've never killed a pedestrian I ran, anywhere. I, ran, I backed over one old lady once in an ice cream shop parking lot. How she was the ice cream? <laughs> melted by the time I stopped applying bandages. But anyway, uh, <laughs> if you like this kind of content, you can help support it by joining the Haggerty Drivers Club, which offers a whole bunch of different stuff that I don't have on my phone in front of me. So it's like unlimited f- guaranteed flatbed toes for all of your classic cars. Uh, the membership to our award-winning magazine. Access to the valuation tool. Unlimited access to the Unlimited tool. access to the uh, valuation and tool. And discounts on really cool shit. And events. So, events. <laughs> VIP events. Yep. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a link below. So if you want to click and join, go right the fuck ahead. Because um, we have to talk about Mustangs. Yes. And away we go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my favorite, I have three favorite words in Spanish now. Deshumidificador. Deshumidificador. Refrigerador. Y otorrinolarangolago. Yes, the ENT. Yes. Do you actually speak Spanish? or No, I don't speak Spanish. You have told me those other ones before. But Spanish I do not speak. But how did you know what an otorinolarangolago was? Isn't it obvious? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't think look the joke is that anyone watching this is going to be like uh he probably mispronounced it i don't speak spanish either i mean burrito al pastor con extra cilantro is fine but yeah how is otorino lalangologo actually a word uh i don't know there's a lot of stuff like that in german where they just remove spaces and create that's otorhinolaryngologist yeah. laryngologist laryngo- i don't i'm not a doctor i don't speak any language anyway that's neither here nor there. We are having a Carmudgeon show at this very moment. It's unfolding. It's today episode about... Wait, wait, wait. I'm still stuck on what the is neither here episode? nor there. So I always go back to a George Carlin comedy routine where he was like, are we there yet? Well, how could we be there if we're still here? But if you say it's neither here nor there, that means it doesn't exist. No, the, the, there is a specific locale and here is a specific locale and there's a lot of space in between. Ah, so it's... Okay. But the, so George Carlin is still correct. Are we there yet? Well, how could we be there when we're still here? Yes. Once until we get there, there we will here, no longer be here. And <laughs> until there and here converge and be, become one and the same. There and which here. Is, but they can't. Uh, because you're not like, uh, Derek, why are over you? There, why are, oh, there over there, be, but this is here. But that's a very, Jesus, we should <laughs> proceed with car content. Fine, Mustangs. Mustangs. So we spent a lot of time last week. So first of all, First of all, we have to insult our audience about a couple things. Mm-hmm. Well, so the last week's episode was the first week <laughs> that, uh, hold on, two weeks ago was the first week 
that Jake episode, uh, edited the episode. Jake mm-hmm. is our new team member. He's fucking awesome. I sent him some inspiration videos for like, oh, God, just make us laugh in the edit. And he did all the weird wham, wham, zoom ins and clips of you being all like butthurt driving some convertible because you're like, I hate sun. I hate wind. I hate fun. Which I stand by. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fun is miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that witch from uh, Sword in the Stone. Miserable, miserable sunshine. You never saw that? It's my favorite Disney movie. Anyway. Um, However, so we got a lot of great comments in there, but then reading through the comments is always fun because people are so upset that the clocks on the wall are not synced. So we fixed it by by removing the clocks from the wall. (laughs) Unfortunately, we also removed the paint from the wall wall with the glue that held the mounting for the clocks. So I think they're framed out. I think we moved everything around so they're framed out. So if there's problems with framing... In this episode, it's your fault. All of you collectively for bitching about our clocks. Yes. The truth is we don't care what time it is. We just care how when we started so we know like, oh, are we an hour and 20 minutes into an episode or only four minutes and it's boring. Pull the plug. (laughs) Um, The other thing is that people are bitching that there's no cars in the background. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, when you guys were at ECME, there was like, there were cars in the background and that was more fun. Great. You know what wasn't fun? Loud Italian people running through the background, making a lot of noise and dropping shit. So uh, I think we've come up with a solution. Oh. And, and I've brought cars for the for the foreground. Oh, God. How about uh, a Tonka truck um, Bronco? Is this a Bronco? The front, a- the face to me looks like... Um, well, the grill is not right for a Jeep, but the lights look kind of like a Jeep. I Whatever, don't know. It's, it's, a a it's a mystery flare side truck i brought that bought that as a spare uh, as a prop for uh, the bronco revelations episode that no one ever watched um that's okay apparently people don't watch truck content on the uh, car internet because my range rover episode did shit also well, no one cares about range rover but everyone watched the raptor r video oh really here have an infinity uh that's not an infinity okay we use these as props oh a volvo but here's you know what these things do they go and hit the soundboard, which is probably going to cancel. Anyway, so for all of you people who are bitching that there are no cars in this episode, I have solved that by putting, for those of you listening on podcast providers, um, model cars on the table that we can play with. They're not even good ones. What do you mean? They I, I collect 118. They're Tesla model. Okay, another prop that I had to order at the last second when I finished the script, like the day we were filming. And I'm like, I need... 15 identical white cars that I can make print out labels and stick on and Amazon to the rescue, but they're all Tesla model S's, but they light up. Look, it's cool. Okay. Anyway, Mustang Mustang. So last week, so we did two Q and a episodes in a row, which Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have normally done. Um, but scheduling was difficult. So we did two Q and a's and then we did the, uh, well, one was a continuation of the other, which we didn't finish because we had, so many cues. really good cues. Um, and then we did a uh, random number generator episode that we had banked. And we're just, that's a, a quickie apology for doing three sort of out of the ordinary episodes in a row. But I was. People like the Q&As. Oh, people like all did. of those actually. Did, yeah. Um, but it it's seems. just, I, no, normally we try to space those things out. Yes. Um, yes. And we were just very busy filming uh, down in Southern California last week, which is as you watched. Some weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. I just got back two days ago and I'm still zonked. Um, but we calculated I did 170 hours of work in a week and a bit. And a week is 168 hours? 
Isn't a week 168 yeah, hours? I don't. I don't even know. All I know is it was four and a quarter. It was ten days. Four and a four and a quarter work weeks in ten days, um, and that's what I do. Look what you guys make me do to suffer. I love it, but usually at the end of it, we're all like cross-eyed, don't know where we are. You but, certainly work hard. Uh, thank you. You worked hard too. You were fixing cars that I broke and um, cleaning up and uh, all kinds of stuff. So thank you for your help. Yes, it is my pleasure. Also, you were driving fast cars. Mm-hmm. Doing my best. So as you guys are now going to get a spoiler alert, I have an, an Icons episode of Mustang Dark Horse coming up. And I think that car is pretty significant for a number of reasons. You'll learn soon. Um, when you we, watch the episode. When you watch the episode, damn it, because I'm not telling you the secrets. But we also have a uh, Cooter, Ultimate Ultimate Drag Race replay episode with Dark Horse. Um, and that was, we got a little silly. I think we were um, maybe a little heat stroked. Oh, yeah. I, I cry a lot in the episode and there's mascara running and, um, yes, that and I had true. a fucking allergic reaction to the makeup remover, which made me look like my, I had been punched in the face. It was fun. It's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in the process, we both, I think, drove a bunch of Mustangs that we never driven. Um, yes, so that's I, true. I think it is very difficult to overstate the cultural and business importance of the Mustang. Um, and I'm going to defer to you for a second because I haven't shut up. Okay, so uh, the Mustang came out in 1964, and after the world, this has been covered elsewhere, right? Did we didn't just? Did I mean, we, we there's, just a, there's somewhere where you played the secretary's car ad. Yeah, right. That was so Mustang GT500 icons. That was for ECME. Um, yes, but it was. So the car was based on the Ford Falcon, and this is part of the miniaturization of American cars that had the moving downsizing of American cars that happened starting around 1960. So the Corvair came out from GM, and then Ford responds with the Falcon, which is small by American standards, large by global standards car that was meant to, to sort of segment the market. And they, I said 1964 was when the Mustang came out because uh, that is when boomers are reaching driving age. And so they're looking for a vehicle with that makes a statement of identity and that has coolness, but is also like affordable. Uh, and that's the role of the Mustang. They took the guts of the Falcon and then they made it packaged it into a way that was much more exciting. Uh, and it drove one Detroit baker to claim that his hotcakes were selling like Mustangs. Uh, in the period. So it was a commercial success from the get-go. It was more than a commercial success. It was a phenomenon. Yeah. So 681,000 Mustangs sold in the first model year. There is nothing in in our market today that sells in that number other than pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about, about a million uh, a piece, and that think about this: they have ten different engines, four different transmissions, five different drive line, drive lines, two wheel drive, this, that, the other thing, extended bed. You know, this is one car, in well, one and a half configurations with a couple engines, and that's it. Yes, far less com- there far were less like, of a diverse offering than Ford has with all of their F products, right? Okay, yes, but there were lots of different flavors of Mustang. Right. It was open and closed, different transmissions, uh, three body styles. So right at first, fast fastback came out quite early. Quite early, I thought okay. it was a year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but so six hundred eighty-one. I mean, this is nuts. So in the video, I put together a list of current manufacturers who all combined sell sell less a year than Mustang. So it's like 20, 20 major names. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the other part of that is that the whole thing was bullshit, right? The whole car was fake. Yes, it pr- it wrote a check that it didn't cash uh, in terms of it promised performance and excitement. And 
you know, you put a 289 in it and it is exciting for sure, but it's not a sports car. But Americans don't know what a sports car is anyway at that point. So it's kind of immaterial. That's that's an interesting point. They didn't know. So, yeah, I mean, the thing is the, the Falcon base had absolutely no sporting pretense whatsoever. I mean, this mm-hmm. was a compact economy car. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 289 is a V8. And that was one of the that was the hot engine option to begin with. Um, I just drove one for the first time for this for this oh I'm you've not, never driven a first generation mustang i'd only ever driven a 67 gt500 with twin superchargers on it which is right. very different yes. <laughs> kind of animal yeah. um and friends of mine own this car it's a beautiful brown convertible ember glow ember glow and i just thought oh my god who the fuck buys a convertible mustang i rescind that high roll that mm. is exactly the body style you want automatic convertible beautiful and the thing is such a rolling piece of art inside and out the commitment to the interior design with like em- horses embossed on the vinyl mm-hmm. um and just like the the cutest little day night mirror i've ever seen mm-hmm. the thing was a piece of jewelry yeah um and so no wonder it sold like yeah it was genuinely nice. stylish it was an economy car that was genuinely stylish and there was no like feeling of um I don't know, compromising or giving up on stuff. Because normally when you got a car that wasn't large, you felt like you were giving up something. And they sort of leaned into that sort of, let's make it small because it has sporting intent or appears to have sporting intent, Uh, which it didn't, but it at least had that image. And that was what made people be like, okay with having a smaller, cheaper car. This is Iacocca at its best, right? Mm -hmm. So Lee Iacocca is the one that sort of came up with the idea of making a sports car out of a car that wasn't ever a sports car. So it's bullshit right it, mm-hmm. but it's also brilliant because he took what was a humdrum driving economy car and made it so sexy with the long hood and the short deck and the beautiful styling and of course an optional v8 um that it didn't matter that it was bullshit it worked right it, it got everyone's attention and no one felt like oh i'm driving a shitty rental car well and nobody knows what a sports car is anyway so n- nobody's not everybody's none the wiser almost everybody i mean Right. Yeah, I mean, sports Shelby. car people started to use them once Shelby got a hold of them, but that was a comprehensively re-engineered car. Structurally, yeah. you know, like the entire drive line, the suspension was all redone to make that. There was a quote that I that I that I quoted in that Shelby GT500 icons, and it was from Carroll Shelby himself, and he said, "You can't make a racehorse out of a mule, mm-hmm. right?" And so that was his challenge in making that original GT350 a car that was raceworthy because there was nothing sporty about that car at all. So it's funny because I just always saw those original cars and thought like they were stunningly beautiful. I never really spent time interacting with them. So stunningly beautiful is surface level. Once you get in the thing, like you realize it's the depth of the styling, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing is cost cut. Everything was beautiful. To so our simple, eyes. Right. It's a simple car, but it was just so beautifully executed that you must have felt rich driving that car. Yeah. Right. Everything was a piece of art. And, um, and so I, I thought sporty, 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 sporty. And then you drive it. And the steering is the most overboosted steering I think I've, yes. among the most overboosted. It's also like 744 turns locked to lock. It is over five. Um, yeah. This one that I drove. There and was it, a, a scene where I was maneuvering the car. <laughs> and uh, it was the first time I had to done that. And I ended up pointed in a different direction entirely from where <laughs> I anticipated I would be yeah. because of the steering ratio. Yeah, just trying to self-center it after a turn. You had better yes. be helping and my my hands broke the speed of sound just yeah. trying to twirl the wheel um so yeah no sport at all but what a unbelievable experience especially being in palm springs where everything is just so beautiful um top down just cruising along at 1200 rpm yeah. engine doesn't sound like much um 
It's you know it's a little burbly V8, but you kind of. But that's also the thing about those cars that people like is that there's a lot of ways to configure those things Mm -hmm. to change to dial the experience in that you want. Yeah, nothing like a GT500 that that you know that later car, which is effectively the same car underneath, just made slightly bigger to fit the big block, right? Yes, that's true of the of the 67 GT500. Less so of the 65 GT350. Yeah, so 65 GT350 was. not 350 of anything I correct this. yes we did we talked we had an entire episode about yeah. this i think early on um and then the 500 was also not 500 of anything but the 350 was a stripped out track special in 65 in 65 the 500 and it became gradually less sort of homologation car crazy yeah there's a big difference between 65 and 66 yeah. technically and that's why there's a big value difference between 65 and 66 even though they look largely uh alike Right, so the 65 was a serious track car for, yes. that was miserable on the road by yes. all you know, contemporary road tests. Um, 66 got uh, less so, and then the GT500 that came out in 67 was a big motor, and what I think the the learning from on Shelby's part was, people don't want a race car for the street. No. What they want is the appearance of a race car, which means yeah. something that's stupid fast. Yeah, and the 500 is a big block version, and there was also a small block version available in 67, 68, which was the, the 350. Mm-hmm. So this, um, the 350 continued... Okay, so when it came time to replace the first-gen Mustang, the Falcon-bodied Mustang, so we had the first and second generation, basically, based on that platform, what had happened? Uh, how late are we talking? Are you talking about, like, in the 70s? Yeah, that was the replacement for the... The Mustang two. Yeah. Yeah, so they extracted over, like, a decade out of the first one, almost. Uh, and then it got... Uh, it was Pinto-based, wasn't it? Yeah. So this is the thing. Pinto- the new economy car. Yeah. So in so, some sense, there is continuity with the Falcon, which is to say, we'll take our shitty economy car and we'll, we'll sex it up. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a tough one because what I'm trying to do in the icons is celebrate Mustang and everyone shits all over Mustang 2 because Mustang 2, let's... How was the Mustang 2? I wasn't there for that okay, day. I'll tell you in a second. No, I'm going to tell you right now. Not a Mustang in any sense. There's nothing about it that's Mustang except... It's a sexed up economy car. There's no sex in there. I don't think that's a pretty okay. car. Uh, what did they do to it? Tarted up? Not even that. It's barely disguised from a Pinto. But here's where it's a real Mustang. It sold like the Dickens. And the mm. thing to remember is that, so Ford sold almost, I think it was 1.1 million of the things in only a couple of years. The brilliance behind the Mustang too was that Ford saw gas prices going crazy and foresaw these the energy crisis and thought, okay, well, the Mustang's big, heavy, and thirsty, and we need to have something that young people will buy that will compete with these burgeoning imports that were getting good fuel economy. So they moved Mustang from the compact their compact platform to their subcompact platform, which was Pinto, uh, and gave it a four-cylinder, which is completely not okay i mean i guess there's still a four-cylinder mustang right there's a, there's almost always been but mm. that was kind of it like there was no high performance Wait, hold version. on a second so the fox was available with a four-cylinder fox buddy, yeah. and then they never four-cylindered again until the eco boost came out so that's like a 30 25 year there was a bit of a gap gap yeah i don't think there was an sn95 or s1 
No, it wasn't four yeah. cylinder. There were V6. There were always the base model was V6. Well, yeah, With, but you could have the base model when you had the V8. Right? Yes, correct. I mean, Mustang there was always mean, a V8 and a not V8. Right? Mustang always just means V8 rear drive and you know, <laughs> redneck at the wheels. To enthusiasts, <laughs> but the yeah. actual like if you to an accountant at Ford, it means those are like a smaller portion than the the base yeah. model cars. Yeah, but the Halo is a V8. Yes. Um, yeah, it wasn't available. The Mustang II was not available with V8 at first. Um, it was four cylinder only, and it was. Not a sporting four-cylinder. It was the Pinto's 2.3 liter. Um, so that car to drive was... Um, my grandmother had a Pinto when I was a kid. Mm. And I have not been in one since probably 1982. And I got in and I'm like, oh, it's grandma's Pinto. It smelled the same. It's the same <laughs> dash, except this one had a tachometer. Or maybe. I don't know. I don't think it had a tachometer because it probably only revs to 3,500 RPM. There is, If there's anything sporty about the original one, all of that is dead in the Mustang too, but it was the right car for the right time. They mm -hmm. it sold well because it got good gas mileage, and it was what quote unquote the people needed. Right? It was it still continued to sell in bad times, um, but that's the least Mustang of any Mustang ever made. Yes, yeah. values reflect that. Um, like, what is the most desirable Mustang too? I know nothing about those cars. I, I like, did they make they made a V eight version of it later on? They did allegedly, apparently. I don't, okay. I don't know. I mean, the thing well, is, we're it's not, well over our skis now because well, we don't know. When you when you're doing an episode on the history of Mustang, it's kind of important to point out that this car, part of the Mustang brand, you know, we think V eight rear drive, whatever. Part of that brand is selling shitload of cars. Yeah, and Mustang two sold a shitload of cars, so it really was a success. But at some point, someone realized at Ford, like, oh, hold on, that's not what people expect when they think Mustang. So then the Fox body, yeah, but it took them a while too, because then the Fox body hot one for a while, the top of line was the SVO, right? Which is a yeah, but I don't think it was all. There that, was a turbo four a turbo cylinder, four. which is like very discontinuous. But there still is no. Yes. That's I mean, true. there's always but it the wasn't base a model. hot car. The, the the hot car, you know, was the turbo four cylinder, yeah. early Fox. But remember that early Fox body year. So now we're talking eighty what seventy nine? No, Fox body came out in seventy nine. It did. Uh huh. I, I believe so. But we're talking the, the just emerging from or just beginning to emerge from the doldrums of the of the emissions choked malaise era and fuel mm -hmm. crises. So sure, they're experimenting with turbo four cylinders to try to get fuel economy up in the same way that the same reason they're doing EcoBoost now. Um, but they had a V eight, and gradually over the first, I guess, eight years, they of carbureted V eight. Yeah, but everything was carbureted. I mean, these were these were cheap cars mm -hmm. and shitty. You know, they were just weren't. Not a premium car. Not a 911, right. Yes. Um, but they gradually got their performance back. They got back up to 200 horsepower with the V8. Um, and then the 87 to 93 Fox bodies were That's the... arrow nose. Arrow nose. flush headlight. And 225 horsepower, I think. Um, and that car... Okay, so we had one there. Mm -hmm. um, belongs to a great guy named Craig, who's got a YouTube channel and does stuff. And he was... Really cool to lend us the car. Sight unseen. He just put it on a truck for us. Um, and it's cammed to filth. Um, <laughs> it, it, I have never driven a Fox Buddy, but that car was the poster of my childhood. Everyone who was hot <laughs> drove a Mustang. Yeah. So like anyone who any who everyone wanted to fuck was driving a 5.0. A five um, <laughs> and then if it was a guy, there were 15 girls lined up to get in the car. It was just the ultimate in sex appeal, yeah. which is so funny because we were talking to our producer on set who's 15 or 16 years younger than I am. And she was like, disgusting. 
like everyone who drove one of these cars was disgusted. So wash, they were um, washed out in high school. <laughs> exactly, because they were the cars were 15-year-old, $500 pieces of shit, but they were new-ish yeah. when I was in high school. Um, and the first time I rode in one, like my mind melted because it was so fast. Mm-hmm. But the sound of that car is yeah. really the, the automotive soundtrack of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And Craig's car was fucking ridiculous. <laughs> One of the best acoustic experiences I've ever had in any car. Yeah. Ever. And I love that uh, it has baloney slice exhausts, but they're small. You know, you're like, how can so much noise be coming out of such small exhaust tips? While making so, so little power. <laughs> yes. In, it's not in his defense, fast by modern standards. Well, in his defense, he said it's down about 100 horsepower um, because he had replaced, he did, he tuned it and put um, uh, the cams in it, but and a different math in it, but uh, the cam, but did ordered the bigger injectors that the tune needed but couldn't get them in time Mm. so he was running them on the old injector so it was running the wrong programming for the math and everything was all fucked up and so he warned me well in advance and it was just a matter of timing so absolutely nothing he did wrong but it was i did have to watch air fuel because it was not fueling enough very early Um, but i honestly wouldn't care if that thing did zero to 60 in 22 minutes i mean (laughs) just to listen to just to hear the noise of that thing and the response it wasn't just the noise. I mean, yeah. Cross-plane V8s are lazy down low at one, 2,000 RPM. You got to give them a whack of throttle to get them to wake up. And it's... And this thing was like zippy like a friggin' Lamborghini. Just yeah. fucking magic. It was, uh, it was just, yeah, it was very handsome. It was very evocative also. And when you think about like the price of those and the experience you get, it makes you really sort of just be like, why you know, is X thing so much more money because yeah. it's just such an overwhelming experience. It's a classic case of, you know, car doesn't need to be fast to be entertaining. It's why we like or good. old cars. Right. Yes. Or good. Yes. In that case. And yeah, no, objectively it wasn't good. No. I mean, I was driving around the track for, for, to getting, to get footage, to get coverage of it. And every time I went around a left-hand bend, uh, goo from the headliner fell through the missing dome light hole. And Mm -hmm. by the time I got out of the car, it was completely covered in like shitty polystyrene. Yes. Didn't care. Just couldn't stop laughing. It's a classic old car experience. Um, You know, nothing fits on those cars. No body panels fit. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Every piece of it. I finally learned about halfway through the shoot. The trick for opening the driver's door is you got to tickle it just so. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, this typical old car stuff. But like to, yeah, old bad car. I mean, again, I kind of want one now. Like yeah. it was just. Oh, I had that reaction with the first generation Mustang. I, oh, yeah. uh, I was, I may have gone and looked on bring a trailer at Mustang, first generation Mustang. So I got home. I did. But every time I think about buying one of those, I'm like, no, no, I have to get a Galaxy. I want the big car. I want the big car with the big block. But you from live in San Francisco era. where it doesn't. It's fit. five inches longer than a Mercedes S-Class. Yeah. 210 inches long. And it, the S-Class is 205. You're not going to fit a 200. And the width, that's the thing. It's not even the length. It's the width. Where are you going to drive this thing? Anywhere I like. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It'll make me happy. Okay. Whatever makes you happy. Um, Yeah. No, that Fox body was a magic experience. And the performance numbers that that thing laid down brand new were just. Especially on a per dollar basis. It cost one third as much as an E30 M3. One third as much. An LX 5 liter. And outperformed the E30 in every single performance metric. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Zero to 60 quarter mile matched its top speed, outgripped it and outbraked it all mm. while being mm. terrible the entire time. But man, what a, yeah, what one. Yeah. You um, see why they sold so well and why the E30 M3 did not, especially yeah. because then you get in the E30 M3, which we also had there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the experience of that, Randy Popes was trying to get me to like the E30 M3. He was why? really trying. He likes those cars. I think yeah, because he's a race car driver and yeah. they're, they're magic on track. Yes. Well, he was trying to get me to like it and I just couldn't get there. I was trying, but I mean, I have never driven one of those cars in anger, to be oh, fair. Okay. I have, I don't know, I've probably driven three of them at this point, but I have never driven one hard in it on a, you know, at the limit. Uh, so an M3 is, is, I don't want to call it magical because that engine is never magical, but it is a nine. It's a solid nine out of 10 on a track. Here's the question that I posed to Randy though, is that if you get a 911 from the same era, which is, you know, in today's market comparable price wise, the 911, I'm always having a good time no matter how fast I'm going. There is so much feedback from the chassis and the motion that we talk about from being rear engined and the steering feel and the noise that the engine makes. Like it is a more enjoyable car, a much higher percentage of the time than an E30 M3. I would say that if you took out the engine component of that whole thing, I don't think I would agree with you because while the 911's engine is buzzy and fizzy and alive and yeah, but think of the steering the steering in the 911 is so much better than the steering so in better, the e30 m3 the when e- you're just cruising around but the m3 is not bad it's, it's just slow. slow yeah but it's not bad it still feels some um i would rather look at an e30 that, m3 than look at a 911 torsion bar suspension and the motion and all that stuff yeah. like i just it's no comparison for me i think there's there overall is no comparison but most of that no a good portion of that comes from the engine Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's the whole car. My problem with the M3 is only that you can get a 325i. Yeah, there's no con- you want to talk about no contest, no contest. One of the best engines of its time to one of the worst engines of its time, and you know, one tenth of a second quicker to 60. Yeah, I agree um, with that for sure. But, but yeah, and I'm, to have a Mustang be able to keep up with an M3 at one third of the price is pretty, pretty damning for the M3 value proposition back in 1988, which is why they sold so poorly. Yeah. Um, well, also because the 325i was literally 20, 35% cheaper. Yes, there were two extremely compelling options you would buy before you bought the E30 M3, unless you were like individual throttle bodies and dual overhead cams. And, and if you were tracking it, maybe the, the additional 40% in, or 50%, it was 50%. It's like 27 to 38 or something thousand dollars. It was a huge amount of money, a surcharge for the M, M car. Um, worth it now to look at. If you don't want to drive. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but then, okay. So Fox body. So the, the, the best part about the Fox body was that not the best part. My favorite part of the story of the Fox body is that it was due to be replaced by a front wheel drive Mazda. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a lot of fun on the episode about do, dealing with this situation, but the, the car that eventually became the Ford probe was the fourth generation Mustang. And how, however blasphemous that, that may now seem, it's worth pointing out that it's actually exactly continuous with everything else the Mustang had ever been up until that point. You know, it was basically the Mustang twoification of the Fox body, if you will, mm-hmm. which is to take the sort of next direction of economy car and sex it up yep. and then sell it in large numbers, Yeah, which was the original intent. Uh, but at that point in the 80s, I think not in the grips of the fuel crisis, uh, there was a... Significant response from the consumer market about right. that. 
Well, yeah, I think the, you know, you can cut power a little bit when everything is cutting power, i.e. when, you know, fuel prices are through the roof and a Corvette has 90 horsepower, whatever the Corvette's low was, like 125 or something. Um, But what you can't do in the 1980s is when everyone else is, you know, getting faster and faster. Finally, we're coming out of this fuel uh, fuel crisis and every now you have all the 16 valve four cylinders. you can't Not to mention look at irock z in the direction they're going where they're just like well hold on gm also considered making the, was planning on making the camaro front wheel drive but if you look at the time everybody was looking at fuel efficient aerodynamic yes. shapes and so you had honda made a crx ford tourification well, yeah. of the automotive landscape yeah that's a good point i'm thinking more like honda crx right honda took the civic put a two-door body on it and that was and the crx by the way wasn't a sports car no, it was a, a was it, mileage maker. It was 50 mile per gallon commuter car, along with the Pontiac uh, Fiero. Uh, Fiero. But, you know, uh, the guys at Ford and sort of everyone else would have seen these imports that are going to front wheel drive and capturing the market. Uh, and you think, okay, well, there's a packaging and fuel economy uh, advantage. You put a very fuel efficient body on it, and it's the Mustang of the future. And man, did the Karens come out and write letters? And Karens and Kens, what are the what are the male Karens? Kens, Chad, Chad, whatever. They started writing letters. And if you look at the at Mustang Fox Body sales numbers, when the magazines started reporting that the next Mustang was front wheel drive, uh, the sales numbers for Fox Body Mustangs went through the roof. This is very much like what happened with Porsche at the nine twenty eight and the nine eleven. Where the people, where the replacement car, people learn that it's existing and then they're like, and then they go buy the old car because they're like, this is the way to go. I didn't realize that happened with 911s. Well, the 911 sales never died. That's why they never put it out of production Mm -hmm. because the car kept selling so well, even though they stopped developing the car. E39 5 Series best year was its last year and its Mm -hmm. best three months were its last three months (laughs) post when everyone saw the E60. Yeah. Yeah. So when people have that reaction to the replacement, they they vote with their wallets for the old car. And fortunately, Ford was responsive enough to the marketplace to not actually ever end up axing the car. And they just had a parallel there's not even that parallel. I mean, that's the thing. And, And at this time when American car companies were so threatened by uh, the incoming imports that they, they were just really worried about how are we going to respond to this? And they're doing a lot of stuff like escort, you know, the American mm-hmm. escort yep. where they're trying to do what Japanese companies do, uh, but often not doing as good a job mm-hmm. as the Japanese. And then, you know, this was a segment of the market where Ford could be like, no, we're just going to lean into our value, you know, our key differentiator, which is like the stuff that Japanese cars simply do not do, which is, Live rear ends and one camshaft for a two bank engine V8, you know, obnoxious noise where gas is 90 cents a gallon or whatever gas cost back then. I have no idea, but I'm sure it was nothing. Yeah, a dollar a gallon gas. So, you know, they it was actually became a differentiator that they were smart enough to respond to and, and lean into. And here's the thing. Probe was fine. First, first of all, the probe was the probe GT got a turbo four cylinder and they were quick. Um, and although not as quick as the Ford Mustang, the Kind soul who lent us the Ford GT, the, the Probe GT, had the road and track issue where they they did a comparison test between the Probe GT and the Mustang. And it was interesting to read the article because the performance numbers weren't that different from no. each other. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, the first sentence of the concluding paragraph was a replacement for the Mustang. It is not. 
referring to the Pro right. GT because I think it was three thousand dollars more comparably equipped Ooh. and and yeah it was a big difference thirteen to sixteen or something was the mm. was the price differential so the probe was dramatically more expensive um, and posted similar but not better performance numbers um, but the, they sold here we go again with the Mustang they sold a shitload of probes um, it was a good looking car especially that second generation um, and it was reliable because it was a Mazda mm -hmm. and it was quick and it did everything kind of well. It's just, but the, but man did Ford learn a lesson. Well, there was space for quickly. both of them. Fortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's pretty cool. A lot of other car companies wouldn't have listened. They said, no, well, they would, the if right. they had been German, they would have just been like, well, actually that's not true because Porsche didn't do this, but yeah, but certainly all the other car companies have, I mean, BMW does one study in the UK that finds that what was it? 50% of all one series drivers didn't know whether their car was front wheel drive or rear wheel drive. So that convinced some German somewhere that, Oh, well then it doesn't matter. And so BMW threw away its entire identity yeah. <laughs> yeah, because of one fucking study. So yeah. Can least, you imagine how cool it would be if that car had continued to persist a hatchback one series that was rear wheel drive today? I'd have one. <laughs> well, simple. no, because think about it would be hideous and it would be dynamically miserable. Yeah. True. But if well, but if they hadn't gone that path of like not understanding, so the point there about Mustang is that Ford understood what Mustang meant to customers, and we're going to find a way to to make that work in a new mm -hmm. world. BMW is trying to dictate the rules of the new world and making excuses about drive by noise and fuel economy and all the other shit that everyone else somehow finds a way around. Um, so yeah, so the Fox Body's platform was continued. I think there were 20 cars made or 23 cars made on the Fox Body platform really? for 17 years or some outrageous number. Wait, so what, are, let's, what is the full gamut? Is this Panther too, or is that a separate platform? That's a separate platform, but this was Fairmont was the, ah. so this is Mercury Zephyr. There was yes. absolutely nothing sporty about any car made on the Fox Body platform at all, except for the Mustang. Uh, and so they did an emergency update for it called the SN95 that launched in 94. And that was the, uh, the sort of re the emergency. Uh -oh. That was like a decade la later, right? After the probe Fox. was 89. No, no, no. But yeah. So it was once people started to find out that the probe was coming, uh -huh. they kept the Fox body Mustang in production, but did an emergency update to its platform. Because if you remember 1994 is a seminal year. It's when dual airbags became required. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there was no way they were going to do fit dual. I'm I'm assuming that was the reason why we saw SN95 in 94. Um, I do remember when that car came out, everyone like sort of lost their shit because it was so evocative of the first generation yeah. Mustang, so consciously evocative. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, I would say relatively early in that retro trend mm -hmm. that emerged in the 90s. You know, this is what also leads to the new Thunderbird or the new Beetle mm -hmm. or... You All know, the Freeman Thomas, Jay, Jay Mays designs that are that are really retro, like futuristic. evocative mm -hmm. of the of the it's responding to baby boomers as they get older, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Uh, and so that the Mustang was, I would say, one of the earlier designs that really keyed into that, which is reflective of the Mustang's role right. as an innovative product that mm -hmm. reads the consumer preferences and market well. Yeah. And it debuted with a. Four or six. Yeah, the four six cam. modular engine. Right. Yeah, and the V6. Did it debut with that or did that come later? I thought it arrived with it, but I don't know mm. those Either cars. Way, later on, they had a four six. Yes. They, had, they had actually the Cobra Cobra R version with independent rear suspension. Yeah. Which is kind of yeah. crazy to think. That they just completely re-engineered the back of the car in right. a way that, you know. I think it bolted into the. Consumers wouldn't. Yeah, but to have like, this is like when you ask these sort of car trivia questions where you're like what platform car was available with front wheel drive rear wheel drive and all wheel drive is there one there it's not a car it's the ford transit ford transit right 
And that's not only its longitudinal trans yeah. or transverse engine. Yeah. Which is just How outrageous. But when you have like these like substantial mm-hmm. packaging changes where you're like, no, it's integral to the car. It's a different car if you change those things. Yeah. You're like, no, it looks exactly the same, but it's independent rear suspension. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, I mean, it's pretty nuts. Triumph did that also the, with the TR4, to be the, fair. And then the next generation was S197. And this one I find really fascinating because this was effectively Lincoln LS slash Jaguar S-Type slash Thunderbird, um, but without the independent rear suspension. This is the one that came out in like 04, 05? Or are you talking about the one that looks like a facelift of the one that came out in 94? The one that looks like a facelift of the one that... Co- no, hold on. The first pretty one. The first like retro the pretty first, square. Yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the one that came out in 05. Oh, God, I don't don't ask me years. I know it's S197. That's all I know. Okay. Um, but that car was very interesting because it moved to a luxury car platform for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. remember, it had always been an economy. Certainly car. not inside the car. <sighs> you were a little bit tough on that one. So that is when I I mean, I remember this because uh I my ex was looking at a GT five hundred when they came out. Um and we went that and was... looked at, we opened the door and we're just like, Nyeh! and then walked away <laughs> from the car because the door panel is just this, this vast expanse of cheap looking plastic. And I just, as soon as I opened the door of the Boss 302, I looked at that and I was like, Whoa. Let me say, so Ford, I think. At that's the, fine. I get that the car is a cheap car. It's cheap. And so that's and fine. You're stuck it's, up. It, it's acceptable to me. It's just funny that you'd say that it's a luxury car platform because my overriding, like, mental construction of that car is the door panel and how just painfully inexpensive it looks. Wow. It was. It was. Ford, yeah, I mean, Ford I get said, it. If the car's going to base price at twenty four or twenty six thousand exactly. dollars, whatever it is, like that's what it has to be. But you know, when you're looking at a GT five hundred and it's seventy grand or whatever it was, they were in two thousand eleven. You know, you're that's just a, like, that was always the WRX problem. Is you know, yeah, or nine eleven problem. Now three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's not a three hundred fifty thousand dollar interior. It's a hundred and twenty thousand dollar interior. But that's either here or there. Ford said they saved five thousand dollars per car by giving it a solid rear axle. Ooh. $5,000? That's an absurd um, number. Right? Like, I feel like if you... How, how f- can all of the suspension possible? linkages and differentials... It's and not that... It's probably not the cost of materials. So live axles are really cheap. So there's a cost of materials plus bushings. Remember, a five-link rear suspension has 10 bushings on either side. How much does a side. bushing cost? Well, think about it. Though. You have 20 of them. How is it going to add up to $5,000? Well, 20 bushings at 20 bucks a piece is 400 bucks right there, plus... 10, 10 arms is another, let's call that a thousand bucks in parts right there, right? Th- their cost versus versus one bushing. And then you have to have a different differential, mount carrier, and then also development baked in. And that's probably what it was. It was probably mm. we can take this old axle and all of these old differentials and just reuse them rather than having to spend millions of dollars for a relatively low volume car that each the, the each car has to amortize that development cost and it, they said five thousand bucks i call bullshit thousand dollars i think it was five that's so don't, many dollars on this. Yeah. so so many dollars but the, the so the best example of the s197 was the boss 302 that car was magic i really enjoyed that car that is yeah. um that car is the, it, it was, the thing about it which i would say surprised me most was that it was stock I was like, how Ish. can something this, this spicy be stock? It had different mufflers on it. But the, but from the factory, they had side exhaust cutouts. Mm-hmm. And they were fully, you could open them partially or fully. They were fully open, thanks to the owner. Um, and then I think he had Borla's, he had some some different uh, mufflers on it. Um, not relevant because the sound is fucking outrageous once you have yeah. those side pipes open. And it had the track key. Mm-hmm. And this was, 
I went on the launch of this car at Laguna Seca and, um, you know, it was a 7,500 RPM, 444 horsepower kick to the nuts of the M3. And, uh, you know, they didn't choose, choose 444 BMW, I shouldn't say BMW probably didn't choose 444 for the M3 GTS by mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. Although they didn't sell that in the U S um, the, that car had, are you talking about the F80? No, no, no. I'm talking about the E92 Mm. M4 Mm -hmm. GTS. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, which is the art, the orange one, the one that was always on orange for the press course. Um, but that uh, that track key is the stupidest thing ever because you put it in, you turn it on, and then once the bunch of conditions are met, it goes to track idle. Yes. Um, and so what it did was use the VVT to give the thing, very valuable time, to give the thing a tremendous cam lope. Yeah. Um, and I will never forget asking the engineers how the hell you guys got that through emissions. And they're like, well, you can't, it won't do it for too long because it's building up hydrocarbons that are stored in the, in the cat. And then every once in a while, we got to do a couple tricks to really heat it up to burn that shit off. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I just love. I mean, yeah. I love that level. They know of, exactly what consumers want and then yeah. they just deliver it in exact, because they are the same one and the same, right? Exactly. The car is developed by people who are themselves. It's a line in the, exactly um, in the, in the video about the dark horse was that Mustang is not engineered by people who take the train to work. Like it's yeah. so obvious, yeah. like give me a red key that gives the thing a, a lopey idle and makes more noise and does stupid shit. I, I'm in, yeah. um, that car was a magic yeah. handler too. That was, it sounded so much better than the dark horse. And I hate to say that, but that old, that old motor sound way better than the coyote. Um, and handling is just a pussycat. I remember from back in the day, it was Pussycat. If you had a curb, didn't like that because it was a non-independent rear. Um, but you have not driven an S550 other than, so the car that replaced that, so last gen Mustang, except the GT500, right? 350 also. Oh, 350. Um, My brother owned both, actually. That's right. Um, does he still own the 500? Because he had a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That happens. He has a Rivian now. Oh, okay. Yeah. And a Miata. Okay, that's a perfect two-car solution. Yeah, Miata. Rivian plus Miata. And you could put the Miata in the Rivian and it wouldn't even notice because it's so light. Um, I love that S550. Um, I thought that was a really good Mustang. Yeah. Came out of the box way too soft, way too quiet. The original GTs were... Um, neutered. Neutered. Um, and But Ford got the message really quickly and then wound up um, making, you know, getting that thing. First of all, it was on its own bespoke platform for the first time in the history of Mustang. It was its own thing. Now, it was supposed to, that platform was supposed to be used for other things, but because the world's ending, um, it wasn't. Oh, really? Um, what was it going to be used for? I think it was going to be used for a series of front-engine rear-wheel drive luxury sedans and SUVs. So I Explorer, guess prob- for example, back was all going to be on that platform, if I remember correctly. The 197 Don't. probably got a rear that they got that platform too because there were no other rear-wheel drive platforms left in, in the, the Ford, Ford arsenal. So they're yeah. like, well, it's the only rear-wheel drive platform we have. So yeah. here you go. Yep. Yeah. But S550 is something that M even M3, M4 aren't. It's its own thing. It's not con- mm-hmm. It's not baked baked in compromises for something else. And the, the baked in compromises would be the base price. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see the compromise that they M. make is that it has to right. be something they can sell with a four-cylinder engine to rental car companies for $26,000. But at the same time, that GT500 was one of the best... I should say one of the best sports cars ever. I mean, 760 horsepower rear wheel drive, put it all down, was a pussycat at the limit. 
mm-hmm. um, and kept up with a 911 GT3 RS. It's contemporary GT3 RS around a racetrack. For a, a lap. <laughs> For a lap. <laughs> I mean, they don't overheat that quickly. Uh, tires. Yeah. The car weighs a thousand pounds more yeah. and it the, t- the tire consumption mm-hmm. is quite different. My but brother the, had a GT3 and mm-hmm. then he had the GT500 mm-hmm. afterwards and he said the cost of running the GT500 as a track car versus the GT3 was much higher because oh. of the tire sure. consumption alone and brakes. Just the mile per gallon on the 500. I mean, yeah. I think we were seeing two, three, and four on, <laughs> on filming. I mean, Coyote just did four and change, but the uh, the supercharged motor, it's making 760 horsepower out the back of the engine. But remember, it's got to burn a thousand horsepower-ish of fuel. There's 900 horsepower worth of fuel to get that because the supercharger, supercharger took 150, 150 horsepower. Yeah. Supercharged engines that flat out are just hideously inefficient. Yeah. Um, but the thing, the thing that I liked about the 500 is it kept up with the GT3 RS, not just in speed. And it didn't make up for it for a, any other In the traditional lap. way that American cars have used in the past, which is we're going to fix this with horsepower and we're going to go slower through the corners, but faster in the straights and the lap time's the same. Yep. But it's actually like uh, doing it fair and square aside from yeah. the 1,000 pound weight penalty, which I mean, definitely was faster in a straight line. Tires. Right. It was faster in a straight line, but it had all of the composure mm-hmm. to, to deal with that kind of power. Yeah, you didn't feel like you were mm-hmm. going to die when you were setting a lap in that car. Yep. And so Dark Horse, I had one here. I, I had Dark Horse, I'll talk about more of that in the Icons episode. Um, and I had a GT here um, that I drove around. And I, of course, talked to Thomas from Throttle House because he was like, what? James told me that you'd like this car. It's a piece of shit. I love my throttle house boys we're friends however there, there's a however coming okay you said it not me. bring forth the bus i'm sorry thomas don't kill me he was wrong he was just wrong okay the steering was not he said the steering was terrible in his car um no the steering wasn't terrible in the gt so i had a gt performance um this is he, a black one he that you had you had a black one sure i never, never like a month ago color. um was it black yes you're sure <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I have no recollection of its color. Um, what I remember, it was manual. It was a GT performance. Um, I love the interior. I love the blatant copy of BMW, single tombstone with two screens in it. And the, I mean, it's down to the, the vent layout and everything. It's just 100% BMW. But unlike BMW's infotainment, you can figure it the fuck out. Also, unlike BMW's infotainment, it takes about 30 minutes to boot in the morning. So that wasn't perfect. Um, but dynamically, that Getrog transmission felt great because it's a relatively short throw, almost Volkswagen-esque in its sort of ropiness shift hmm. throws, but super easy to operate, felt great going into gears. The motor is the absolute masterpiece and centerpiece of the car. Um, As it should be for yeah. any Mustang buyer who's buying a V8. It doesn't sound, it's not the prettiest sound in the world, but my God, it makes so much fucking noise that it, it just doesn't matter. Um, plus you can choose loud, way too loud, or holy shit, arrest me loud. And where else can you choose a, a mega V8 noises these days? There's yeah. just not that many places no, left, no, especially, like uh, you know, without not, turbos. What, with a, right, NA with no, with, uh, with, with a, a manual. manual. I mean, um, it, yeah. What are those cars? V8 manual cars. You still can get a Camaro for for about another week. Uh, uh, I think Aston Challenger. Aston. That's oh, turbocharged. That is turbocharged four liter. Um, yeah. There's not. There's kind of not much. Um, magical experience in just 
daily living with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to Thomas's stuff, the steering on mine wasn't bad. It, is it the most communicative in the world? No. Um, is it any worse than any modern BMW? No, it's better. Um, it had Pirelli P0s on it that had genuinely, and I know I'm going to get a cringe from you and everyone else, less grip than the Michelin Pilot all-season fours that are on the minivan. I believe that. Yeah, those have um, those those all-season Michelins are yeah, spectacular. Are <laughs> on a fucking, I mean, I'm sorry, minivan with all-season fours shouldn't be outgripping a Corvette, uh, uh, a Mustang GT Performance. But hey, tire choice. I can't. You know, it is what it is. Pirelli. Um, I mean, they're engineered to degrade, as we know from we Formula made it One. Till nine forty-one in the morning on the first day of filming before the first Pirelli laminated on the uh, dark horse. Dark horse. Yes, right. I noticed those. Yeah, and took the fender liner with it. I was pretty pissed off about that. I mean, we did one launch, and they just say it was 113 degrees later that day, so it was probably already 100. But that, anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go down the fucking Pirelli rabbit hole. But um, yeah, so the base Mustang, I, I really liked. The drift brake worked perfectly for me. I think the problem with Thomas is Thomas was saying it was really imprecise and it would didn't work consistently. And I went back and watched their video, and I think he was on the gas. They had an automatic for that video, and I think mm-hmm. he had his foot on the gas you can if you listen you can hear throttle um and i'm guessing there's a safety feature built in where it won't lock the rear wheels if you have any gas request on it all um in the gt manual it worked perfectly i did it a bunch of times in a parking lot around here just to see um it's perfectly it's a quarter of a second behind what you do so a cable would be a, a faster but you learn to sort of map that um dark horse is a very different car dark horse is much stiffer um, has magneto rheological shocks also that are that are stiffer than the this is also a performance pack than the GTs. Um, but the front tires go from I believe 245s to 305s. Mm. Huge. And you feel that turns in immediately. Yeah. It all it also tram lines a little bit, mm-hmm. but you're you feel a much much more positive that's connection. a type of feedback through the steering and i'm one that i'm fine with i mean it doesn't tram line all over the place but you feel where the you feel that where the tires are going and i don't have a pro- any sort of problem with that um agree and the tremec is so the regular gts get a getrog five speed and the uh, six speed and the dark horse gets a tremec six speed which is i didn't love rushing that gearbox it, i didn't work for me yeah. I would much prefer the Getrog. Now there's a class action lawsuit against the Getrog and for, for blowing for up early. Failure. Oh, so yeah. they were like, this Getrog's not up to the... Very, well, the Boss 302, no, hold on. The Mach 1, um, well, what the hell was the last one? Um, they all got, the previous sort of track packs all got the get, uh, the Tremec because uh, uh, obviously the Getrog wasn't up for it. The gearing... The gear ratios are so much better on the on the Tremec because you have a really closely spaced first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and then a huge drop into sixth, um, which is exactly what I want. A little bit longer than I'd like, but it is what it is. Everything is. Yeah. The um, I'm not even going to respond to that ridiculously <laughs> profane comment, Derek. Um, you made it profane. Hold on. By now we're going to bring way. Jake into this. Jake <laughs> laughed when you said that, which tells me that I didn't make it profane. You did. Jake is going to become our, Jake's our new Palo, and so we're going to have to make fun of him over there. Okay, oh, sorry, Jake. Jake drives a Mustang. We should have had him be our special guest this episode. Yeah. Um, so, so because since we obviously don't know what we're doing or talking about, yeah. Anyway, um, I would take Dark Horse over GT, but that Tremec in that particular car, and we'll see if that's a characteristic thing of that transmission or it was just somebody 
I mean, it could have been a press car that was thoroughly used. 5,000 miles on it. So it was a press car that was thoroughly used. Um, But it would grind if going into second quickly or fourth. Um, It was not the only car we were drag racing that would grind if shifted quickly. I would say more of the cars that we drag raced did that than didn't, actually. That is also true. In fact, I think all of them did. But the M2 did. The Emira did. Oh, so we're telling everyone what that episode is? I guess so. We just did. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Emira is... We're not spoiling the results. We're just saying okay. what was present. The Emira is a fucking nightmare to shift from first to second, even if you In do it hurry. slowly. Yeah. It's yeah. because that that's an Ison six-speed manual that has was made for diesels, high-torque diesels. Mm. Um, so it was rated for 400 newton meters. They're putting 430 through it, so they're already over, but it, the first to second gear synchro the second gear synchro was made for 4500 rpm not 7500 rpm mm-hmm. and lotus is very proud to boast that they've replaced the third fourth fifth and sixth gears in the transmission but still haven't fixed the fucking big problem which is you can't shift from first to second over 7000 without a horrible noise mm-hmm. um the m2 was reluctant the supra ground also super okay. was a little bit that super was a little bit less miserable on the one two shift than the uh, than the M2 was. Yeah, the M2 was not a happy not camper. Happy. But it would grind, would go in. Yes, Supra, it would go in. It was just a cringy. Yeah, you'd get a <laughs> and in and versus the Amira, which would just lock you out. Like you're just not getting in. Sorry, abort. Um, I got good acceleration numbers out of that car, though. If you can, if you can time it right and beat the. What synchro, if you double clutch? I did. And I did on the one too. It worked. No, good. no, it, no. It, I mean, it's a little bit better, but it's. Ah, Ah, instead of the normal, you know, like you just, you're losing that car did, I think a four, two to 64 one. It was high. It was just about, it was almost a four one. So it might wind up correcting to four one to 60, which is quick. Um, it would have been a three, six or three, seven if it, um, if you could shift it quickly, but you know, is that what a Lotus is about? Mm, Not sure. Um, but yeah, the, uh, dark horse was also reluctant for, it would just grind second, all the, all the rearward shifts. One to two and three to four. Uh, I didn't grind going to fifth to sixth. It's not that long of a drag race. I maxed out fifth. You did? Mm-hmm. It's a long oh. runway. Oh, not a part yeah, of not, a quarter not, mile. Not, yeah, but uh, <laughs> while we're getting footage, I made sure the gauge went to you know, places. Places, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so moral of the story is I want a Fox body motor in, that's cammed and miserable and angry in something that looks like a fox body. So you want a fox yeah, body so. car. So. Interesting. I left being very impressed by the uh, Boss 302. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also made me want his, his first half of the 60s Ford as well. Yeah. That that 66. I would be bad. really into being having a Mustang were it not for the fact that I, I have chosen to hitch my horse to the Galaxy uh, train. Mm. Me yeah. and no one else. That's right. Have whatever you want. I mean, that I could have one of the, those early Mustangs just to have this sort of sedate, mm-hmm. relaxing, Palm Spring cruisy driving mm-hmm. experience that none of my other cars offers. Um, but the Boss 302 is probably the best Mustang around. I mean, that car had that best sounding. It was just as fast in a straight line as the Dark Horse. Like, that's pretty nuts. Which is impressive considering yeah. a decade separates those yeah. cars. Yeah, they were the same speed. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, good looking. I mean, the interior didn't bother me. You were uh, horrified, but I, I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was. I, 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 I mean, I know why it's like that. And so mm-hmm. it offends me less. But also you get into like the S550 and you don't have that experience. So Fair enough. they could have done. They did do 
or the S650, which then gives you Fox body gauges. If that, if that S650 not only had Fox body gauges, but then had a motor that sounded and responded like that Fox body motor. Mm. Okay, Ford, there's your assignment. Here's my it's other. It's probably illegal. Here's my other. I have a theory. So the Dark Horse, the new five liter, makes 500 horsepower out of a cross plane crank five liter, which is 100 horsepower per liter, liter, which has only ever once been beat. I don't remember who the fuck did it. Who did it? BMW. The S85. Yes. The uh, e, 414 I mean, horsepower out of four liters is the only time anyone has hit 100, who has gone over 100 horsepower per liter. Like Audi did the 420, 414 and the 4.2 liter RS. Didn't uh, the um, S54, 3.2 liters? S, crossplane V8. Oh, crossplane V8. Sorry, sorry. I missed that. Crossplane crank V8. I think only one, it's that BMW S85 from the E90 M3 that has ever significantly beat the 100 mark. Um, Anyway, the last, the last, Voodoo V8 was a 5.2 liter with 520 horsepower, so 526. So that one, Ford needed a cross-plane crank to get to. And this very compromised motor. Um, I went to a tech preview of that, and they were showing us the intake manifolds, and there was only one throttle and one intake manifold. And the the problem with cross-plane crank V8s to make power is that you have uneven firing between the banks. So each bank gets boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 boom. You get pulses. Right. And so you can't take advantage of the resonance that you would if it were they, those those pulses were evenly spaced. And so every flat plane V8 that I can think of has two separate plenums, that are fuel injectors, has two separate plenums with a little bit of a crossover. And so each one is, is experiencing equal uh, pulses happening at equal spaced equally intervals. spaced time intervals um and there's a crossover to take advantage of a resonance at different resonances at different speeds the voodoo didn't and i was told that the ford didn't have the money to do a two dual throttle uh setup and dual plenum so they had to stick with the single which cost them some power but what they did was change the firing order um to compensate for that and what that did was add most of the weight back into the crank that should have to been balance gone it. To, to balance it because it was now instead of a, a four cylinder crank where you have two throws, two throws, two throws, two throws, you have one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Mm. So there's not a lot of material in them getting super nerdy, but probably one of the reasons those engines tend to blow up is because they have a, a, a design that is inherently weaker for the crank. Um, but then they also couldn't package equally based uh equal length exhaust runners so they get that that chewbacca sound because the exhaust uh, runners are so different left to right um i find it so interesting that the new coyote gen 4 which is the dark horse motor is 500 horsepower and has two throttles and two plenums Mm -hmm. so i have a sneaking suspicion they learned some stuff they did that and are going to make a yes when they make a flat plane version of it then it's going to be less compromised and more mega and like mm-hmm. wow that'll be I'm, so exciting so you're thinking the new gt3 350 could be just like absolute magic i think so why the hell else do you go to dual, dual planets i know i'm not an engine intake manifold engineer but i have a sneaking suspicion they did that for a reason because it didn't seem, what an exciting time yeah. to be alive oh ah, really so and that, while I mean, the camaro's dying and the challenger and the charger yeah we're gonna have a mustang for a little while longer super cool um no i'm not a mustang guy you're definitely not a mustang guy but, no um but i would was, own one 
I don't know, it's a couple of them that I know. Yeah, so, me too. Um, all I know is that Fox Body made me feel things that I shouldn't have felt in a car. Well, glad you've been blowing the cobwebs out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this has been the Mustang episode of the Car Margin Show. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, potentially. Probably. Yeah. All right, cool. Bye.